0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Things we could, we could have done better, right? Now, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but uh, probably most of us would go, you know, there were some things I could have done better. Maybe some things I could have done a lot better. Maybe some things I would like to tweak or modify. And it's important to reflect and to think about that. And it's important to think as we enter into a new year and we get to hit the reset button, what can we do differently this year to be the kind of people God wants us to be and to be used by God uh, and in the way that he wants to use us and to, to really live all that God has for us in life. So uh, let's look at 1 uh, Corinthians chapter nine. Um, as we think about some setting some New Year's resolutions, some goals for how you can live life a little differently in the coming year. First Corinthians chapter nine, starting in verse twenty-three uh, to the end of the chapter. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. You could say I do everything for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Uh, Very familiar passage, perhaps. um, And it's a great passage to talk about goal setting. Um, And in this passage, Paul gives us some help in how to do this. And the first thing that he talks about is, Says to do this well, you need to have several things, and the first thing you need to do is you need to have the right incentive. Now, if you're honest, again, I want to I want to ask you to raise your hands. But if you're honest, do a lot of you did you get like, did you try setting resolutions way back a long time ago, but you kind of gave up because it never worked? Right? That's that's mostly my experience. I would have these great goals, these great resolutions, and I would do good for about the first four days of January. You know. And then it would get very sporadic. And usually by the end of January, I couldn't even remember what I had resolved. And maybe that's why uh, some of us have kind of given up on the practice. We feel like it just really doesn't work. But one of the things that Paul understood is that for this to really work, you've got to have the right incentive. And that's really what he's talking about here. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run to win that prize. Uh, now, um, Paul picked this uh, this example because C- Corinth, which is who he r- was writing this letter to, Corinth was the host place for the Isthmian Games. Uh, and it was the largest athletic sporting event in the Roman world next to the Olympics. The only thing bigger would have been the Olympics. Uh, but it was a big deal. And every two years, they would uh, athletes would come, kind of like in modern day, athletes would come from all over the Roman Empire to Corinth, to to compete in these various games. And uh, these were serious athletes, much less today. These were professional athletes who devoted their life to their sport and to doing their best. And it was a big deal to win. They didn't travel and leave their homes and all over the Roman Empire to come to Corinth, to compete in these games just for a good workout, right? I know some of you run. Ryan, you know, ran the Chiang Mai Marathon last week. Where is Ryan? Did you run to win or just to finish? The week before, he won. So he probably had a great hope. The week before, he ran another marathon. He won in his age division. Way to go, Ryan. So maybe in the Chiang Mai Marathon, he was thinking, oh, yeah, I can see, I can taste victory, right? Um, A lot of his exercise just for the sake of exercise. But these guys were not in that class. These were guys serious, and they wanted to win. And so... um, uh, that was what motivated them, right? They were competing to win. And Paul says that in order to do that, because in those games, just like in modern-day Olympics, everybody in the Olympics doesn't get a gold medal, right? you got to beat everybody else to get the prize. And that's what Paul says. He says, only one wins. Only one wins the, the trophy. So uh, he says, therefore, every athlete, in verse 25, he says, every athlete exercises uh, great self-control in all things. So what would happen is these athletes would come to Corinth uh, a month or two before the games, and uh, they would just fill the city, and they would come, and they would be working out. So the Corinthians got to see this live and firsthand, and these athletes would come, and they would finish off their, their final training, actually, in Corinth, and they would be you know, finding some temple to run stairs up and down, or they would be, you know, I don't know, lifting columns of rock. I don't know how they worked out back then. <laughs> Running on the beach or up mountains, they were they were serious, and, and the Corinthians would see these guys who trained very hard and they exercised great self-control, discipline, because they wanted to win that prize, and so they worked very hard and they sacrificed and they disciplined. The word there, they exercised self-control, really has the idea of of denying yourself uh, anything and everything in order to win. Right. So these guys would make great sacrifices. And not only did they you know, train hard, but they would they would be on very special diets and they would abstain from drinking alcohol. They would not go out at night and party. Because they knew only one gets the prize. And they wanted to be the one. right? And so uh, if, uh, if you went in the, the principle Paul, Paul's teaching here is if you went a big prize, you have to be willing to make great sacrifice. The greater greater the reward, the greater the event, the greater the self-sacrifice and self-discipline required for you to be the one who wins. I'm reminded of a story of uh, an athlete, Meb, I can never say his last name, Meb Kofleski. You say that ten times. Uh, He was a well-known, in fact, still is running in, in the master's division, uh, fled from, great story, fled from Eritrea in Africa, uh, fled Civil War when he was a boy with his family, ended up in the United States, uh, discovered that he was a pretty decent runner and started a running career, uh, won three national champion uh, cross-country championships in the U.S., uh, was a uh, record holder in the U.S. for the 10,000 meters, eventually went on and got the silver in the Olympics, and, um, but in his biography that he wrote, he tells his, the story of how he met his wife. And uh, being Eritrean, he really, you know, their culture, he really wanted to meet an Eritrean girl to marry. And in America, there's just not they're not like on every street corner, you know. You just don't find Eritrean eligible bachelorettes, you know. So he had uh, been at this gathering of Eritrean, and he met this beautiful young woman that really drew his attention. And uh, he was very interested in her, and he was a very quiet, bashful, shy guy. But somehow he managed to go up and talk to this girl. She was very excited to meet him and very interested in him as well. And so she invited him to a party uh, on the upcoming Friday night, I don't know if it was that night, but to this party kind of as a date. And like this for an introvert, quiet, shy guy, this is like a dream come true. A beautiful girl that you like actually actually invites you, right, and if you're if you're a quiet introverted guy, you don't pass these opportunities by. This is a big deal, because it'll never happen again the rest of your life, right? So 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 here it is, this moment, this, this beautiful girl is inviting him to this party, and you know what he says? He says, Oh, I can't because I have to go on a training run the next day. Right? Okay, tip to guys, this is not what you tell a girl who you're interested in. And of course, she had no idea he was like this world-class runner. He was actually training for the Olympics uh, and needed to to run the qualifying event in the the marathon, which he did, which he made it to the Olympics, got the silver medal. She didn't know that, right? So she just hears him saying, well, I have to go on a training run the next morning. Which for every girl, that spells, oh, he's not interested in me, right? Okay. Well, thankfully, somehow they kind of got past that and uh, they they did end up dating and, and getting married, but this is the kind of sacrifice a serious athlete makes, right? You don't go on a date on a Friday night because you got to get up in the morning and run, right? I don't do that, right? Not that serious, right? Um, so th- that's what Paul's talking about here. These these are guys who make serious sacrifices. Why? Because they have the right incentive, right? They know what they want. And they are serious about winning that prize. And so they will go to great lengths and make great sacrifices because they want that prize. And Paul goes on and he says in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in a way that you may win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so what, what, was the, what was the prize or the reward that they were running for? Well, what they would get if they won first place was not a gold medal, not a gold trophy, not a silver medal, not a silver trophy. What they would get was a pine wreath. Like we hang up you know at Christmas time, you know, the pine branches weaving together. Okay, that was their prize. A very perishable, and I would think, I mean, I would think, really got kind of ripped off, right? You know, you go all, all this travel, you run a marathon, you almost kill yourself, you win, and they hand you a dead tree. I'm thinking, you know, it's not worth it. But to them it was worth it because it was, uh, it symbolizes a moment of fame and glory, right? To say you are the best in the world and to hold up this dead pine tree, yay, I won, Right? That was the prize. And Paul says, look, they would go to all that for a pine tree. We are running for an eternal, imperishable reward. Right? We have a totally different incentive. And our incentive should be, what Paul's saying is, our incentive should be that much greater because we're not running for a dead pine tree in 15 minutes of fame and glory. We will get a prize that is imperishable, an eternal reward in heaven. And just to be clear, Paul here is not talking about the reward of salvation. Right? He's not saying that if we run the race well, we will earn you know, eternal life. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about something in addition to or beyond eternal life. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's a reward. It's, it's the, the rewards of a life lived well. And Paul doesn't explain what they are, and uh, we could speculate. There's other passages that talk about what it is. Let's just say this: it's like the like the like the runners in the real world get a few minutes of fame and glory. The reward we get will be like that. It will be fame and glory. It will be honor, but it will be an honor that never disappears or goes away. Okay. Now, just to, just just to illustrate this. Okay. Can anybody tell me who won? you know the the women's figure skating in 1976 I don't know I don't know you could t- you could you could guess I wouldn't know if you're right or wrong the point is they are forgotten they are forgotten right the reward that Jesus has for you is eternal it's eternal right so what Paul's saying here is is um this is our incentive and you might be saying well yeah, but, you know, I got kind of a late start. I've never been, like, spiritually brilliant. And, you know, I've got to compete against guys like Billy Graham. Who's going to beat Billy Graham, right? Or, or Paul, for that matter, you know? So pretty much I feel like I'm out of the race already. Well, the good news is that Paul is not saying here that there's only one person who receives the eternal reward. So that's true on earth. In a real race on earth, they have to work hard because only one gets the prize, but we run a different kind of race. And the race we run is ultimately uniquely our own race. And so uh, running well means that you are you know, a, a field of one. And, and uh, God calls us to uh, fulfill his call and purpose for our life. Okay, that's how we win. We win the prize by fulfilling God's call and purpose for our life. And it's unique to you, right? So I don't have to outdo Billy Graham or, you know, any other character, the Apostle Paul or Barnabas or, you know, whoever. Uh, I don't have to preach better than, you know, whoever. I don't have to win more people to Jesus than, right? It's not about that. It's about living the life that God called you to live uh, and and doing it well. And if you do it well, there is a prize for you. Uh, you just don't just as long as you don't get disqualified. And Paul says later that you can not get disqualified. You can miss the reward, uh, not salvation, but the reward that goes with it. So the main point is this. The only way you can be disciplined enough, the only way you can do what's going to be necessary to win the reward um, is if the incentive is big enough. Athletes do it for a pine branch how much more should we be willing to work and labor and strive for the eternal reward that God has for us? Um, so much more is at stake. So so Paul's point is that we should have great incentive if we have an eternal perspective on what our life is about. That our life is about more than just here and now. And that what happened in 2015, uh, what went well, some of that has eternal impact, right? What we hope to see happen in 2016, if we do it well, if we're faithful, if we do what God calls us to, it can have eternal impact, eternal reward. So that's our incentive. Um, second thing, we need to have the right plan, right? Uh, once we have our, our incentive in place, we need, to, we need to know what our plan is for the race we're running, um, and to, to know that, we need to know what, it, what is the race we're running, right? What event are we signed up for? Uh, because how we train and prepare has a lot to do with the event we're, we're, we're planning to run. Um, to put it again in sports kind of track and field terms, are you preparing for a marathon or to throw the shot put? And I'm telling you the way you train for those two events is very different, Okay shot putters can throw marathon runners, right? And that's kind of the difference. Uh, and it's a good thing that the, the run, marathon runners can run far because shot put runners are only good for about 10 yards, right? So as long as they got a 10-yard head start, the, the marathon runner can escape getting thrown by the shot put thrower. Right? Um, and they train very differently, very, very differently. So what is the race we're running and, and how do we prepare for it? Paul says in verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, Paul says, I know what my race is about. I, I know why I'm running. And I, I do it with great goal and purpose and direction. It's not aimless. There's an aim to what I am doing. And I know what it is. I know what my mission is. Uh, he says, I don't box as one beating the air. He says, I'm not just pretending. I'm not just going through the motions of some kind of activity that seems spiritual or religious. He says, no, I have have a a focus and a purpose to what I am about. So what was that focus or that purpose? What is the goal for which Paul was living his life? Well, he tells us, in fact, he's been telling us in the passage before this, we didn't read it all, but he sums it up in verse 23. He says this, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. That's his goal. He says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Right? That was Paul's life, uh, for this, to live his life totally for the sake of the gospel, that everything he did was for, it, for that. So what does that mean? Well, first it means that our whole life is being shaped and transformed by the outworking of the gospel. Right? It means that the gospel becomes the life-changing power and force in our life. Um to, to spell that even more specifically, it means this. It means that Jesus died on the cross, as we know. He gave himself up uh, for your sins, right, so that you could be forgiven from the guilt and shame of sin. Uh, that truth should be life-transforming, to know that you deserve God's judgment, you deserve wrath, you deserve punishment, you deserve all kinds of bad luck, Um but, but Jesus paid the penalty for all of that. And he took away the guilt and shame and he ge- he's given you complete forgiveness. Why should that be life-changing? Well, because it should give us a motivation to live life with gratitude that I have been forgiven. Right? That God has loved me so much, he's forgiven me. Uh, beyond that, uh, it should be life-changing to know the price that God paid to, to give us forgiveness, right? He gave his own son. Jesus gave up his own life. It was an enormous, at enormous expense that God showed his love for us. There's something life-changing about that, if we really get it. God loves you that much, right? And that should change our life. It should change how we view ourselves, and where our identity comes from. Beyond that, the gospel transforms, transforms us because in the cross, Jesus not only paid for the penalty of our sin, but he conquered sin and death. And scripture tells us that we now have a power to live life not under the bondage or captivity of sin, but we can now live life without being pulled into all the junk and addictions and sin that's controlled and dominated our life. So we have a freedom now to live a new and different kind of life. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, For God has done what the law could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, to, to live our life for the sake of the gospel means that daily we are being transformed by the work of the cross, right? by the work of forgiveness and His love and His grace. It's changing us to be more and more like Him. Right? That's the first thing it means to live our life for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, it means that we're committed. We are on a mission to proclaim that message to those who have never heard and to help those who have heard and received it to uh, come under its power and influence. And so, so we have a mission. That was Paul's mission, to tell people the good news about Jesus and to help them apply its truth to their everyday life. And he said, that's what I live for. And he says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. And in the context here, he's talking about... Um, making sacrifices about giving things up about uh, pouring out his life in service to others for the sake of the gospel um, so so the goal of the race is to is to win the eternal rewards of a life lived fully for the sake of the gospel but but here's the thing uh, training is not the same as racing right every athlete knows that and that's kind of at the heart of Paul's illustration here. Training is not the same as racing, right? So in other words, if a guy wants to to be a boxer, one way to do this would be to just go into every bar and find every drunk guy you can and pick a fight with anybody who will fight you, right? And just, you know, just fight all the time, right? Um, But if you actually follow boxing, you know that that's not how any boxer trains, right? That's just a way to get beat up a lot, actually, Right? Um, instead they do other things besides box. They lift weights and they jump rope and they practice speed and agility tests and they do crazy numbers of upside down sit-ups and other stuff, right? To train and develop their bodies, right? To be fit and in shape and prepared so that when they get into the ring and they put on the gloves and they fight, right? They've trained and conditioned their body to respond and to be ready, Right. Same thing Same is true for somebody running a marathon. If you want to train for a marathon, you don't go out and run a marathon every morning before breakfast. right? Uh, all that will do is kill you, right? Because after about five days of that, you're done. You're just done, right? No, they, train, they have a training plan and strategy. Right? And so on down the list in every sport, right? They, they teach their body and train their body and prepare their body so that they can compete in the event, right? Well, that's what it means when Paul says every athlete develops self-discipline, right? Every, every, every athlete exercises self-control as they train for their race. Um, so if our race is doing everything for the sake of the gospel, it doesn't mean that everything we do all day long from morning to evening is go out and evangelize, right? Uh, again, I mean, that... That may have some benefit, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying that we need to develop disciplines or habits in our life so that when the opportunities come up, we're prepared to live out and proclaim the gospel. So what exactly does it look like? How do we train ourselves to be living for the sake of the gospel? What do we do to actually do this? Um, you know, if you're, if you're into sports, you, you kind of know how that works, right? If you're, if you're a runner, you know some of the running things you can do. If you're a tennis player, you know some, you know some of the tennis drills. Or if you're a basketball player, you know you've got to practice, you know, those left-hand layups. What do we do if we're a Christian, And right? we're trying to live life for the sake of the gospel. What exactly does this look like? Well, typically we think of things like, well, you know, you're supposed to read your Bible, pray, go to church, and give money. Kind of the standard answers, and those are all good things. I hope you you do those things. Um, but but that's not really what Paul has in mind here. Those are good things, um, but notice what Paul says in verse 27. He says, "But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." That's a pretty decent translation, but not nearly as graphic as what it really says in the Greek. Okay? What it actually says in the Greek version is this. He says, literally, I beat up my body and make it my slave. And the word beat up is, is the words you would use for like somebody who just beats somebody up. Right? Turn them black and blue, pulverize them. Right? So Paul says what we really need to do is we really need to be beating ourselves up right? and making our body our slaves. Now, lest we take this too literally, let me give a disclaimer here. Right, back in like Martin Luther day, you know, the monks, they took this very literally. And they actually had whips that they would actually whip themselves with, right? And they wore wool underwear and stuff like that, right? That's not exactly what Paul has in mind here, right? As beneficial as wool underwear may be at some level, that's not really what he's talking about, Right? Um, it's, it's, it's figurative language, right? But it, it's true that we are to make our bodies our slave. The point is that, the, that what we need in order to be uh, doing everything for the sake of the gospel is we need to deal with our body, our human flesh, our, our life that gets lived out in this physical, tangible body. Um, we need to make it our slave. We need to bring it under subjection so that our bodies will do what's required to fulfill God's will and purpose in our life. So when God speaks a word, our body is quick to obey what we know God commands. Uh, So we need to beat ourselves. We need to, that is, and that's why they use the, the translation here, we need to discipline our body. And learn how to keep it under control uh, so that we are not disqualified. And here again, Paul is not talking about losing our salvation. But he's saying we can, if we, if we don't learn to be disciplined, self disciplined, if we don't cultivate and develop godly habits and godly lifestyles, we will find ourselves disqualified from the reward of the gospel. Um, Now, some people will say, well, this just sounds a lot like good works. Um, what's the difference between grace and good works? Well, uh, this is not legalism. And the difference is this. Uh, by faith, we obtain the salvation of the gospel. Okay, The salvation of the gospel is a free gift that's given to you, and there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve it or merit it. Right? So when we talk about these disciplines, this has nothing to do with God's grace freely given to you to give you salvation. It is a free gift we receive simply by trusting that Jesus did this for me. He died for me. But uh, the rewards of the gospel are different. It is by obedience and hard work that we obtain the rewards of the gospel. Scripture is very clear that even though we're saved by grace and we're forgiven as a free gift, that as I read in in Ephesians, we are to be fulfilling the works of the law in our flesh. We are to be doing good works. We are to be doing good deeds. We are to be walking in obedience. Not to earn salvation, but as a fruit or evidence of what the gospel is doing in our life. And that takes work. Right? If you're waiting for God to zap you and to just instantly make you a holy person, you're going to be. It's going to be a long wait because because it will happen, <laughs> but it will be the last thing that ever happens to you on this earth. Just just so you're clear on that, right? The next thing is they bury you, or whatever. If you're in Thailand, maybe you won't get buried; you'll get burned. But whatever, right? It's the last thing that will happen to you, right? So, and, and if you wait until that point, you probably will have disqualified from from the reward. It takes effort and it takes work. It takes self-discipline, and we must develop these things. We must work at developing these things. Notice what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, um, you know, he says, "I buffet my body, I make it my slave." He does not say, "I'm just going to try to love God more." And 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 this is where we start getting down to writing our New Year's resolutions. Okay, start taking notes if you want to write New Year's resolutions. This is the point, right? Resolutions like I want to love people better. I want to love God more. I want to be more spiritual. I want to be more holy. right? I'm, I want to be a better person. Okay? Those are good goals. They're terrible resolutions because I have no idea what that means and it, it, it won't happen. Right? That's the goal. It's not the training that's needed to make those things happen. It's a question we've got to ask. If I'm going to love people more, if I'm going to love God more, if I'm going to worship Him more, if I'm going to have a life that's filled with holiness, how do I train for that? Right? What are the habits or disciplines I need to put into my life so that those things will, will develop and will come? Right? And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's why he says we need to discipline our body. We need to train our bodies in the work of obedience. All right? So what does that look like? Well, to help us do that, um, I have an idea. It's just an idea. It's a suggestion. I'm not telling you what to do, okay? One of those people who says, don't ever tell me what to do. I'm not telling you what to do. It's just an idea, right? Instead of making a New Year's resolution for something you're going to do for a whole year, I would like to suggest that you commit to a 30-day challenge, right? Because what I found in my own life is that it's a lot easier to try something for 30 days uh, but to be serious about it for those 30 days than to try to, you know, do something for a year or for the rest of your life, right? So take up a 30-day challenge, and uh, what uh, if, you, if you take up the challenge, the goal is to pick a new habit or practice, and I'll give you some some examples, that you're going to try every day for 30 days, right? every day for 30 days, and commit to doing that, Um it needs to be something that you're not currently already doing, right? Okay. If you're already disciplined, like if you're already a good with exercise and you kind of got that down, okay, you don't need to make that a New Year's resolution, right? Just you've got that one mastered. Pick something that you're not particularly good at. Pick an area that you're not disciplined in, right? Something that's a struggle for you. Um, commit to do it for 30 days, and then after 30 days... Uh, decide, think about how you can make this uh, a regular habit. Maybe it's not something you need to do every day. But I find that doing it for 30 days ingrains, it etches into your body a habit, right, a habit. So here's some suggestions. And again, Paul says, I, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box the air. I have a goal. So I'm suggesting that these are habits that will help produce the long-term goal of living a life for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I don't know how many of these I have, but we'll go th- we'll go through them pretty quick. Uh, here, the first one, give thanks, right? Uh, every day for 30 days, come up with at least five things that you are thankful for, right? Every day, five things. And at least one of them has to be something that you wouldn't normally be thankful for, okay? A hardship, a difficulty, or a struggle, right? that you wouldn't naturally be thankful for. And it's important, and these... uh, Again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm suggesting that if you want it to be effective, this is what you need to do. You need to incorporate some bodily activity in it, right? So this can't just be a mental exercise. So I think to make it really work, you need to write down those five things every day. You write them down. You need to make your body go through the motion of writing it out. Um... And if you want to really, like if you're like if you're one of those overachievers, you want to get an A+, share every day at least one of those things with one person. Right? Tell somebody, hey, I'm just thankful today because, boom. Right? You're, you're training your body. Okay, what's the goal or purpose of this? Well, you are learning the discipline of being grateful and thankful. You are teaching your body to respond with all the good things and bad things around you with an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness, right? It's a great discipline to develop. Here's another one. Uh, memorize scripture. Okay, spend 30 days memorizing scripture. And it, it could look like this. Spend, say, 15 minutes every day focused on memorizing scripture. Now, if you're one of these really bright you know people who can memorize, maybe you could do a verse a day. Uh, maybe you 're like me, and you know you only have four working brain cells left, and so it takes a little more etching it in so you may have to you know review a lot more uh, up to you, but you work on it for fifteen minutes every day you review the verses you you know learn from day one up to where you are and you keep adding new verses as you are able for thirty days right um, <clears throat> what 's the goal of this um, well, the goal is to keep your brain working. Right? Train your brain to be digging in and holding on to Scripture, to hiding God's Word in your heart. Okay, This doesn't happen automatically. And I'm telling you, as you get older, it happens a lot less automatically. Right? You've got to work at it. Right? Is God's Word valuable to you? Force your brain to hold on to it. Right? Third one. Um, And this may sound kind of silly, but it's hard, right? It it takes discipline to do this. Uh, Recite scripture over and over again, okay? And what this looks like is this. And I would start, set a goal to by the end of 30 days to be able to do this for 15 minutes. Now, this sounds easy. I'm telling you, it's not, all right? And this is how it works. Uh, Start, find a quiet place alone where there's not any distractions. And take a very simple verse, right? For example, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Repeat it slowly and thoughtfully and prayerfully. Slowly. It's not a race. Do it reflectively. Be still and know that I am God. And just say that over and over again. Uh, Start with maybe three minutes or five minutes and kind of try to work your way up to, after 30 days, being able to do it for 15 minutes. It sounds silly, and you may feel silly doing it. That's why you want to be alone, right? Um, What does this do? What's the goal of this? Well, it's disciplining your mind to stay focused and not bounce everywhere all over the place like a ping-pong ball, right? If you're honest, how many of you will say that when you try to pray, when you try to read the Bible, your brain is like a ping-pong ball on steroids, right? And you can focus on something for about 12 seconds, and that's your, your limit. See? And, you know, people think they're ADD, and maybe they are ADD, maybe they need drugs, I don't know. But honestly, what they need, really, is to train and discipline your mind to stay focused, right? It's a skill you learn. Nobody's born doing this, right? And it takes practice. But you can do this, right? And you can, uh, with practice, you can learn to focus your mind, and I think in the world, and there's more and more proof that as we are more invaded by technology and cell phones and gadgets, we're losing our ability to focus for more than 30 seconds. So the way our brain is, is, is being wired now, people do not have the ability to stay focused for more than 30 seconds, right? And, and we need to learn to be still and hear God's voice. And to do that, we, we need to be, be able to focus. And, and clear our mind of all the clutter. And, and, and you know, when we do this, you can't think too much. Okay? The goal is not to think, not to analyze. It's to, to let Scripture sink into your soul and hear God speak. Right? So you're just focused on those words. You're not analyzing them. You're not preaching sermons. You're not writing Bible studies. Right? Just those words. Fifteen minutes straight. If you do that, you've accomplished a great thing. Um, another option. Uh, fast, you know, go without food, right? Fast, not be quick. Go without food. Uh, now, you can do this one of two ways. One, well, you can do one of three ways. You could fast for 30 days. <laughs> if you haven't fasted a lot, don't don't try it. Just cold turkey because it takes some practice. Um, easier way to do it, just skip one meal every day for 30 days. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, you pick. Or maybe if you're one of those people who eats five meals, you know, just skip one of the, like, the fifth meal, right? Um, uh, another way to do it is to uh, fast two or three meals in one day, right? So then you wouldn't do it every every day. You'd do it maybe four times in a month, right? Uh, the goal is to train our body not to control us with its cravings and desires, right? To, to learn to tell our body, I don't care if you're hungry, get over it, right? We're not eating today. Move on, right? we don't let our natural appetites control and dominate our life. Okay, fasting is a great way to learn that skill. Uh, Another one. And this also sounds silly. It's harder than you think. And and it's a great discipline that we should all develop. Uh, Just simply sit still. Be still for 20 to 30 minutes a day. Um, and, And by that I mean sit still and do nothing. Do not read, no electronics, don't listen to music, no audiobooks, no podcasts. Just in s- complete silence and solitude, right, just be still. And try to sit and be still and be calm and rest in God for 20 to 30 minutes. Right? Um, and, and as you do that, you can reflect on, on a couple of things. You can reflect on the gospel, which means you reflect on the gravity of your sin, the seriousness of your sin and the grandeur of God's love. Right? So spend some time just thinking and contemplating how you fail and, and how sin has messed up your life and how sin still is a problem. And think about not just the sins like lust and stealing and uh, you know those things, but think about things like pride, selfishness, doubt, fear, worry, the need to be in control, right? And then uh, think about and contemplate what God has done to remove those things, right? But mostly just try to be still and rest in God's presence. Just be quiet before him. Uh, The goal of this is to discipline your body to quiet and to prepare to hear God's voice. Uh, God speaks in a still, small voice, a whisper. And if our life is so busy and so full and so packed that we're never quiet, it's really hard for God to get through all the, all the noise, right? So the goal is to learn how to hear God's voice, to let him whisper to our soul. A right? um, couple of real quick. Um, do something kind for someone every day. So you could, like, bake a bunch of cookies or make bread or some handcraft. And set as a goal to go out every day and give somebody, you know, a dozen cookies or a loaf of bread or some nifty thing you made, right? And just say, and, and it's great if it's like your Thai neighbors or it's like strangers, people that don't know you, but it can be friends too. And when they say, wow, why did you do this? And say, well, I'm just practicing being generous. And God has been so generous to me and I want to practice that same kind of generosity to others. Uh, if you can't cook or bake and you have no craft skills, you'll just have to give money. You know, for some of you that's going to be hard. But um, Practicing. The goal is to practice generosity, practice sharing God's love in practical ways. I'm practicing um, sharing the gospel, right? It's a great way to start learning how to share the gospel. For some of it's hard to just go up and say, hey, you know, you know the four spiritual laws, whatever. It's a great way to start conversations that are Christ-centered. Um, meditate on uh, one passage of the Bible for a month. Just pick one scripture, like John 15, Psalm 23, Isaiah 53. Focus on that and journal what, what God speaks to you. Write down what God speaks to you as you meditate. Uh, and as you do, ask God what he wants you to confess, change, obey, or put into practice. Um Pray through a psalm every day. I take a psalm, read through it a couple of times, kind of outline its key themes. And the psalms have all kinds of like complaint to hope, praise to my problems to praise again, uh, confession to grace. Sometimes it follows a petition, uh, God's answer, and then praise formula. Kind of figure out what, what the psalmist is saying and then put yourself in the psalm and pray that psalm. Right? Just pray it. If he praises, you praise. If he complains, you complain. I love that part. I'm good at it. Uh, if, if he praises God in the midst of the complaint, you praise God in the midst of your complaints, right? Uh, pray a psalm every day. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Right. Write down your list of current needs and struggles and the people you, you, you care about, and then use the Lord's Prayer as a prayer guide to pray for those things, right? Pray the Lord's Prayer over each one of, and through each of those things. All right. Th- these things can be life-changing, right? And I'm not asking you to commit to a year. I'm just saying try it for 30 days, right? And Paul says that if we learn this discipline, this self-control, right, that it will enable us to get the reward, right? And in my own life, I found it to be incredibly life-changing, for me, I started simply by, the, I took the one of repeating a verse every day, reciting it over and over. It was amazing uh, what it did in my life. It was truly life transforming. Um, pick something you're not good at, right? And start developing these disciplines, right? Um, the temptation is I'm going to just go out and love people. Try, okay, and certainly we should do that. But I'm telling you, first, you need to bring your body under subjection. You need to learn self-control. And praise God, it's ultimately a gift of the Spirit, and God will pour out His Spirit to help you. But you got to be committed to putting those things in your life.